Surprisingly enough, we're going to do things a little different here this morning. I know that shocks you. We're so into liturgy, but um, we're going to do things a little different. We actually had planned a video uh, that is, was done. Um, uh, a lot of hours went into it. Quite a bit of money went into it. It was going to be great on community. Uh, we were all jazzed up about it. And yesterday, the thing, I don't know what happened. It, it fried. It died. It got swallowed by a computer. Computers are of the devil. We believe that here. And... This just proves it. <laughs> there you go. I rebuke those computers, except for email. That gets godly once in a while. But <laughs> so the result is that we're going to postpone that video thing here. Um, but we still want to talk on community. We're, we're launching off uh, a, a, a new emphasis on community here. The last couple of weeks we have been in. This morning we're going to have a, give you a chance to begin checking out some opportunities to get involved in community. Um, one of the people that got us really uh, thinking about community in a, in a real intense way, well, let me tell you how I met her. I was sitting there in the visitor's room, and, and she came up to me, this feisty, red-headed woman, and said, uh, what is the problem with this church? This church has got a problem. What is the problem with this church? And I said, lady, I'm sorry, but you have just run into the one church that has no problems. We are the perfect church. You maybe didn't notice that. Maybe you got a problem. And she goes, I don't think so. <laughs> Um, this church has got a problem because I've been here for six months and I can't get connected with anybody and I'm one of the most outgoing, fun, loving people that I know. And I can't get, if I can't get connected, a lot of people can't get connected. So we made it, we put her in charge of the visitor's room and we put her in charge of the uh, community building committee and they have been strategizing for, for quite some time now about building community here at Woodland Hills. Uh, her name is Sandra, Sandra Unger. And, um, She's one of the most straight-talking people I've ever met in my life. Also one of the people that lives, uh, lives out the gospel more authentically than, than I, I, I have I've ever seen. Uh, her house is a veritable flop house for people to come and stay over. And What's your address again? You want me to advertise that? But um, she was going to do the invitation here this morning to invite you to go and, and, and check out some of the uh, small groups. And I asked her the other day, what do you plan on saying? And when she told me, it doesn't sound at all like an invitation. It sounded like a sermon. So I said, tell you what, let's do this. Let's do a little tag team sermon. You take point number one, and then I'll take it from there. So I'd like, I'd like Sandra to come up here and um, just share a little bit of her heart uh, for community and, and what that means and, and et cetera, et cetera. And leave me a little bit of time. Try. Right. All right, tag team, you got to tag me off here. Okay, go for it. I got here because I looked at the front of the program and it said invitation Sandra Unger and I had visions of myself giving an altar call and singing just as I am and you think Greg sings badly <laughs> you would not want to hear that so today what I really want to do is just see how good of a job we've done as a community team in communicating what it is we're looking for out of these covenant groups so you're gonna have to participate with me here when you think about joining a covenant group even if you aren't thinking about joining one do you think of going into a room with a group of people you don't know very well and spilling your guts and confessing sins that you're uncomfortable confessing and getting judged, rejected, loved, whatever? How many of you get that picture of a really uncomfortable situation that you don't want to be in and that you want to get out of as fast as possible? you got to raise your hand. Okay, you're with me. Okay, how many of you picture going into a room with a few people you don't know and studying... Uh, the Bible by answering a bunch of multiple choice questions, getting so bored you almost fall asleep, and then going home after an hour. Anybody get that picture? Okay. How many of you picture just kind of a shallow thing where nothing real deep ever happens? You just kind of shoot hoops and eat pizza, and then everybody goes home and lives your real life. 
Anybody got that idea? Okay. How many of you are not going to raise your hands no matter what question I ask you this morning? <laughs> hey, you just proved yourself wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, what I want to tell you this morning is straight out of the Bible in John 17 on the front of your brochure, verse 23, it says, May they, and this is Jesus praying for his followers, be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. He wasn't praying that we would start a program, that we would join a group, that we would memorize a bunch of verses together, that we would judge each other, reject, share things we're uncomfortable sharing. What he prayed for was unity, and that's what the covenant groups are about. They're a launching pad to unity. And I'm going to share two things that we believe come out of unity. And the first is a very personal uh, result that will affect all of us on an individual level and then ultimately on a corporate level. And I'll just share my story. About six years ago, I'd kind of turned my back on God, and this was a God that I'd followed since I was a five-year-old child and accepted Christ into my heart. And about six years ago, I was making some bad choices, and I was kind of whacked out in the head, and I wasn't thinking clearly. And you know how your life can just fall apart? I mean, you fill in your struggle. Maybe you struggle with um, some kind of addiction. Maybe you struggle with gambling. Maybe you struggle with homosexuality. Maybe you just have a really bad marriage. Maybe your kids are out of control. But we all go through times in our life where things are not working. And that's where I was. And what I had was I had two people in my life who were believers, very strong followers of Jesus Christ. And they said, we don't like what you're doing, but we're not judging you, and we're not rejecting you, and we're not condemning you. We're going to love you, and we're going to pull you through this, and we're going to walk together. And ever since that time in my life, I have always had people, and right now I have three people in my life, who know who I am at the core, and they know where I've been, and they're not going to let me go back to the places I've been that weren't correct. And that's the key. Now, this program, you're not going to join a covenant group in the second week go, oh, let me just bear my soul and be, but this is a stepping stone. This is how it starts. Because unity comes when we really know each other. If we only know surface things, or if we only confess little sins like lying and greed, then we're not getting to the core. So the, the key to unity is to be able to share who you are at the very depth of yourself and let people love that person and let people hold that person accountable and let that person not judge, not reject, but just embrace that person and bring them one step clo closer to Jesus Christ. So that's the first benefit, and that's a big one. And the second one, look back at the verse, he prays to let the world know that you sent me. So a totally direct result, and this is my passion, is that when we start to live like this, when we start to know who we are at the very core, and when we start to love each other, love that person, then what happens is the world around us, your neighbors and my neighbors and the people we work with start to say, something is different. I thought Christians were hypocrites. I thought Christians judged everybody. I thought Christians didn't know how to have fun together. And what happens when we start living these relationships is all of the people in our world start noticing that something's different. What we are in that, those relationships is messengers of Christ's heart for the world. And so what I'm encouraging you to do today, and this is not easy, is don't hide. Just take one step Make one relationship, and maybe it won't be in one of these covenant groups, but maybe it will. Don't be afraid of who's inside. Take one step toward letting that person out and be known and loved. That's great. That's where it's at. Did you see the movie? Some of you saw this movie, I think, uh, the movie Contact. Uh, how many saw that movie? Well, okay, it, it, it was a pretty good show as Hollywood things go. And in that movie, I'm not going to give away the whole plot for those of you who want to check it out. It's, it's way better than average. Uh, 
you, of course, got the immoral preacher in there. Uh, you know, so you got to put up with that kind of stuff. But on the whole, it's pretty good. Everyone knows preachers are never immoral. But you, this lady takes... So, yeah. So you take this... Um, this lady goes to this different planet and talks to this higher life form. And I'm not going to tell you the details about it because you might want to check it out. But it, in the course of talking to this lady, uh, this higher life form, um, this higher intelligence, this person alien being says this, and it's kind of the punchline of the whole movie, that we, we believe that making contact, communicating, knowing that you're not alone is the one thing that makes life meaningful, or at least tolerable. Being known that you're not alone, being known by another, making contact with another, having a person that, and now I'm elaborating on the alien, but knowing that there's someone out there. Now, it's, of course, I would have liked the movie to go into God's stuff and have a great revelation, but you can't expect too much from Hollywood. But there's a profound truth in what this alien was saying. The truth is this, that we are created to, for love. We're created to not be alone, to rather have people on the inside of us and us to be on the inside of other people. Just as we're created to have Jesus Christ on the inside of us and us to be on the inside of Jesus Christ. The vertical and the horizontal relationships go hand in hand. The purpose for creation is this. God, the triune God, who is everlasting, ecstatic, unsurpassable, unthinkable love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God created the world so the world could in its own little way replicate himself. We're created to share in this ecstatic, unsurpassable, unthinkable, eternal, undying, unconditional love. That's why we exist. That's what the whole thing is about. We're created to get that from Jesus Christ, and then we are created to live that relationship out in relationship to one another. That's why every person that lives has God in the core of their being an insatiable hunger for love. You can't get away from it. You can try to deny it. You can try to suppress it. But when all is said and done, it's there, and it's always going to be there. To have people who know you fully and who accept you unconditionally while they know you fully the heart is not satisfied. In fact, it's hungry, it's thirsty, it's dying until we have those kind of relationships. God created us that way so that we get that from Jesus Christ. But then out of the fullness of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, we're supposed to have that with one another. We are, in loving one another, supposed to mirror God, to replicate in our own way God's triune love, to begin to have the kind of love for one another that God is constituted by throughout eternity. We're to have a triune love for one another. And as Sandra said, it's when we do that that people see God. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 and verse 16 says this, No one has seen God at any time, but when we love one another as God is love, His love is perfected in us. Here's what it, the gist of it is. People don't see God, but what they see is us loving one another. And when we mirror God's love towards one another, people see it. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 23. Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one, that they'd have the kind of triune love, unconditional relationship with one another that, that, that we have, so that the world may know that I'm for real, so that the world may know that you have sent me. People don't out there read the Bible a whole lot, but what they do see is Christians, and how Christians relate together determines their picture of who God is, how real this whole thing is. In the end... What will take over the world, what will conquer this world, and it will eventually conquer the world, is the love of God lived out in the lives of those people who say yes to God. 
Amen? It's not our tracks. It's not our programs. It's not our nice church buildings. It's not, our, not that we couldn't use a nice church building. But it's not that that will spread the word. It's not that that will take over the world. It's not our strategies. It's not our theologies. It's not our fancy preaching. It's not our good music. It is love. Real love, real relationships with real people that spreads the gospel. That is the kingdom of God because that's the dome in which God is king. Wherever there's love that is like God, God abides in love, First John tells us, and that's where the kingdom of God goes forward. Now get this. If that is true, and it is, there is nothing that the devil hates more than that. The devil knows the devil hates God. He's declared war on God, and the devil knows <coughs> that... He can't get at God. God is invincible in terms of his own being. You can't tear apart the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. But you can try to tear apart his bride. You can try to tear apart his people so that they do not mirror him, so that God is not glorified in our midst. If you can't get to the groom, you try to dismember the bride. I know that's a real horrifying analogy, but it's exactly true. It's exactly true. The only way he gets to God is by dividing us. To take the bride of Christ that is supposed to look like Christ and have the kind of love that constitutes the Godhead in our midst and to try to build up walls between us, barriers between us. And he does it in some obvious ways, and he does it in some non-obvious ways. The obvious ways are like this, having uh, divisions among us, having uh, little minor theological points become major theological points, Uh, having strife and disagreements and jealousy and self-righteousness and denominationalism and pride get into the body of Christ. It's all of the devil, because all of it in different ways tears down the body of Christ. It keeps us from manifesting the oneness that God wanted us to have. Those are the more obvious ways. And we need to, in Jesus' name, just rebuke it. Just say, no, it's not going to happen. We refuse to give in to that. Many things could divide us, but Jesus Christ will unite us. And on Christ we take our stand. But there's also some non-obvious ways that divide us. And I want to talk a minute about this. Several of the non-obvious ways that the enemy sets up walls that keeps us from entering into oneness. These are not obvious because these ways keep us looking nice. They keep us looking religious. They keep us looking Christian. Everything looks perfectly fine. And that's why it's so pernicious. Because you don't notice it. Strife and people majoring in the minors and all sorts of other bitterness. That's obvious. You can see that. This is very, very subtle. Ways that the enemy keeps us from manifesting the oneness of God. Here's one way. A major way. He produces shame in our life. Shame. It goes something like this. You know what you did six years ago. And if anyone ever found out, they'd reject you. You know what's going on in your life. You know the thoughts that are there. You know the habits that are maybe there. You know the the callousness that is there, the apathy that is there. Whatever sin is there, the enemy takes that. And he's called the accuser of the brethren for a a reason because he accuses. He condemns. So he produces condemnation in our hearts. Condemnation. And that condemnation brings about shame. And where there is shame, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, where there is shame, there's going to be hiding. I've got something in my life that I'm ashamed of. That I need to hide that from you. Maybe I'll even try to hide it from God. Maybe I'll even try to hide it from, our, from myself. 
And I'll settle for nice surfacey relationships. I'll you know, be glad to say how's it going and have nice little acquaintances. But no one gets on the inside. God doesn't get on the inside. Certainly other people don't get on the, get on the inside because there's shame in my life. There's condemnation in my life. It's a major wall that the enemy sets up to keep us apart from one another. And the result is this. Where there is shame, there will be no healing. Because what you need to be healed of, you can't even talk about. You can't let anyone, let anyone in on the inside. And a wound, a scar, a sin that is concealed is a wound, a sin, a scar that can never be healed. If it can't be revealed, if it's always concealed, then it can't be healed. I can't believe all those things rhyme. If it can't be revealed, it's got to be concealed and it will never be healed. It's true. Remember that. There's no healing. So, in fact, it gets worse. It, it festers. A second thing is you always feel utterly alone. And a person in this congregation that's got what I got. Probably, probably a lot of people in this congregation that have got exactly what you've got, but you'll never know it because no one talks about it. I'm all alone in this whole thing. There's no healing. You feel utterly alone, and you never feel the love of God because you never experience it. You know that what people like about you is not reality because you're hiding reality. So even if they do love you, you don't give them a chance to love you because you're never real with what is there because there's shame in your life. It's of the enemy. It keeps us having a nice, cute, quaint relationships, but it keeps us from entering into real, honest, vulnerable relationships. Many times the things of God just don't seem real to us because we never let them touch the real us because there's wounds there. Well, we've got to know, and we've got to know it. We've got to shout it from the housetops. We've just got to remind ourselves of this over and over again, and it's this. Christianity is a shameless religion, amen? It's a shameless religion because love has no shame. Love has no shame. Think about it like this. Maybe some of you didn't know this about me, but it's true. I've killed a person. Uh, does that shock you? Do you wonder about my credentials being up here preaching? If I you know, killed a person, I was guilty as charged. I got off, but it, but it, was, it was true. I killed a person. Does that lower your image of me? If it does, you don't understand what the gospel's about. The truth of the matter is that I've killed a person. My sins were so bad, not only a person had to die for me, but the Lord God Almighty had to die for me. And if you know that about me, that I am a murderer, even a God murderer, if you know that about me, what could I tell you now that would surprise you, that would shock you, that would you know, like really lower your esteem about me? You know the worst thing you could possibly know about me. I just told you it. And the same is true for you. Your sin put Christ on the tree. We are sinners. We're sinners. We're sinners. At least that's what we were. Now God's rejuvenating us. He's given us a new nature. But the truth of the matter is, is this. Our past is such that we put Christ on the, on, the, on the cross. And some of the ways we still think and some of the ways we still feel and some of the ways we still behave also put Christ on the cross. But if we know that about each other, we're already out of the closet. Our cover has been blown. We've been exposed. What do we have to hide? Amen? What do we have to hide? But you also know this about me, that I've been pardoned. The very person that I killed pardoned me. And now I am free. And you are free. And I am holy, and you are holy. And I am spotless, and you are spotless. And I am a, I'm destined for eternal life with Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer, you're destined for eternal life in Jesus Christ. So the worst about us is out there, but the best about us is out there. What do we have to hide? In the body of Christ, there's gotta be the, the, this has got to be the place 
where what is real can be out there, maybe not on stage, not with everybody, but there's got to be some people in our life who live that out for us, people that we can speak the truth to and who speak truth to us, people who remind us that our worth is found in Calvary and not in our good marriages and not in our good parenting and not in our spotless past because that's not even real. That's what community, Christian community is all about, people who incarnate, live out the love of Jesus Christ for one another. I don't care if you're here this morning and you are just the, you think you're the most screwed up person on the earth. The gospel is for you. I don't care about your abortion. I don't care about the, the addiction that you struggle with. I don't care about the gay stuff you struggle with. I don't care about the thoughts that you struggle with. I don't care if you're just the most pure person in the world. The reality is we are sinners saved by grace. Hallelujah. And that makes all the difference. And Christian community is just a matter of living that out. The devil would love us to have nice relationships. And most of our relationships have got to be nice. You don't have time to let everybody in on the inside. Most of us are going to be nice. They're going to be rather shallow. That's okay, but if that's all your relationships, something's desperately wrong. The enemy would love to keep us on the surface. Just, how you doing? Nice day. Things are good. Wonderful, wonderful. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Because that means that we'll never discover the reality of God's unconditional love in our relationships with one another. We need groups, some, two, maybe three, maybe five, who are in on the inside, who know us fully and accept us in knowing us. That's what love is about. That's what the prayer in John 17 is about. But it can be scary, and this is the second thing I want to bring up. It can be scary. Fear is a major wall that keeps us from one another. Fear. Fear that people may leave if we're all out about stuff, what if, what if I get real with myself? Because, you know, we're all good at denial. What if I get real with myself and I don't particularly like what I see? This is where, this is where I've been for the, last, for the last week or so. You get real, you look at the last, actually, a couple months, just getting real with stuff. A lot of stuff that you see when you turn on the light and you look honestly at the room you do not like. It's kind of messy. It's kind of ugly. What if, I, what if I don't like what I see? People are afraid of that. If I'm real with myself, man, I maybe will not like what I see in the mirror. But what if friends don't like what they see? What if I'm honest with stuff and friends leave? What if I'm honest with stuff and my spouse doesn't like it? What if I'm honest with stuff and the family leaves? Sometimes when you speak the truth, if people don't want to see the truth, they start blaming you for seeing it. Here's a word that is so important. Speaking the truth. The word truth in the Bible, aletheia in Greek, it means to uncover. Speaking the uncoveredness of things. Speaking honestly. That does not create any reality. It just exposes reality. Just know this. If you notice something that's real and very, very ugly, you didn't make it ugly by noticing it. You just noticed that it was ugly. Now, people who are invested in trying to keep things pretty are going to blame you for noticing that it was ugly. But it's not your fault that you noticed it. It's certainly not your fault that it's ugly because you said it out loud. If you live the truth and speak the truth, you can't lose anything that you haven't already lost. Speaking the truth and living the truth will just expose what is real. If friends leave you because you're real about stuff, you know what? You didn't have any friends to start with. Now you're just being real with it. If the family rejects you because you've been real with stuff, you've been honest with stuff, you know what? They weren't family anyways. If the marriage blew sky high because of honesty that, that, that is there, then was it really a marriage to start with? If you got to tiptoe around things and walk on eggshells, 
It needs to be blown up, maybe. God does not have a premium on appearance. He's got a premium on reality. Because there's nothing more pernicious, more demonic, more sick, and more easier to do than just be heavily invested in appearance, keeping things looking nice, keeping things well. And there's a false security we have in this. We get our life together. Everything's in order. Everything's just fine. But all the while, we know that it's the price that you are paying for illusion is reality. And when you're living in unreality, I don't care how good it looks, I don't care how secure it makes you feel, there's going to be sickness there because you're still in hiding. The things of God, help me here, Holy Spirit, I don't know if there's anything that undermines more of the reality of the power of God in our life more than, than, than being addicted to illusions that we, that we feel secure about. Amen. I don't know if there's anything that, make, that undermines more the peace of God in our life, the joy of God in our life, the power of God in our life, a sense of the presence of God in our life, more than being addicted to illusion. Because if you're walking reality, it's very hard for God to become real to you. And maybe that you're so used to appearance you don't even notice it. But what's got to happen here is this. We need people like Sandra had in her life. People who speak the truth to us and that we can speak the truth back. And they're not going to leave us. They're not going to forsake us. They live out, they incarnate the love of Jesus Christ in our life. People that you can be unconditionally real around. And then the walls come down. The walls of artificiality. And you know what? It may be very, very ugly. It may, in fact, get very, very ugly. But you'll have some people who will walk alongside you, even if it is ugly. They're not going to leave. And you can handle anything if you don't have to go through it alone. Who do you have in your life that is like that? Who knows you, is known by you, and is not going to leave no matter how messy it gets? Christianity, I think the devil loves a nice, pure, spotless Christianity that everything just looks great and you come together, little individuals, you get your religious Sunday morning buzz, you go home and everything's just hunky-dory and reality never gets dealt with. I don't think Christianity was ever meant to be pretty. I don't think it was ever meant to be slick because reality isn't usually pretty and reality is never slick and Christianity is about reality. The only commodity that Christ trades in is reality. Let the walls fall down. We've got to become real with one another. The final wall, and I'm going to say this really quick. In fact, worship team, would you start coming up here? I want to do the song that we skipped. What do you say? All right. And you've got to promise me when you go to pick up your kids, you're going to just love those workers and tell them what wonderful jobs they do, okay? Because my neck's on the line here. But one major one, I'm just going to touch on it. We'll talk about it a little bit later but it has to do with self-sufficiency. You're just too busy. You don't, you don't have shame. You don't have fear. You're just together. You got it together. You don't need this stuff. Let me say two things about that. You think you, think you don't need these kind of relationships. Number one, you do need it. You don't know how much you need it. You don't know what you're missing by not having it. You're vulnerable. You're a dismembered member of the body of Christ. You need to get connected. Number two, what are you doing to help the walls fall down? Let's say that you got it together. Wonderful. Let's say that you have no shame. You have no fear. You're just a good, solid, healthy Christian. Wonderful. But does God call us just to walk in our own comfort zone and to be happy with our own health? Uh Uh-uh. He calls us to invest in other people's lives. Amen. He calls us to reach out to others, to begin to spread the kingdom of God by loving other people unconditionally. He calls us to be ministers, and we are ministers to one another as we enter into relationships with one another. He calls us to replicate what he did for us in the lives of each other. We have no option. It is a divine command to reach out 
and get involved in the lives of others, to start tearing down the walls.